forgive her for she knows not what she does.
Greetings, everybody. This is Tabitha. Welcome to another edition of Light Wellness. Today, May 11th, 2022, broadcasting out of New York for Light Wellness Radio. That song right there was Type O Negative with Christian Woman way back in 1993. I like that music quite a bit, and I think he was a total hunk, by the way. Also a native New Yorker, just like me. And gone too soon. He died at, uh, at age 48. And he's actually buried in Long Island believe it or not. What a beautiful Aryan man with beautiful hair and possibly even RH negative as well. So welcome to today's second or first live broadcast of May. I've done a couple of little clips thus far. I hope you've been enjoying those. This is the first live broadcast of the fifth month of the year 2022. And the title of this episode of White Wellness Radio is titled Radical Resistance. Kind of a bit of a part two, I would say, from what we talked about on the last White Wellness Live that was last month, rooting into our sovereignty. It's going to be just more ways that we can resist the Talmudic stuff that's out there. And things are getting more Talmudic than ever before. It's, you know, we almost wonder people who aren't really clued in yet, you're like, how do they still not see it? But I guess everyone sees it in due time, or some just like wearing those rose-colored spectacles and pretending everything is peaches and cream and unicorns and cotton candy. So today we're going to talk about more ways to, I guess, explore or kind of live with abundance via the Dharmic path. It's not so much going to be spiritually oriented today. It's going to be more practical, kind of uh, tangible stuff that has to do with diet and just, I'd say, you know, rooting ourselves into freedom, realizing that we do have a choice. Like even with something like the OEDI vaccination, notice how people were given a choice. Oftentimes it was a rough choice, like choosing between that and their, you know, their place of employ or maybe their, their social stratosphere or whatever it may be. But nevertheless, uh, Zog always gives a choice. You know, that's one of the things I think they actually talk about in the Talmud and that absolves them from actually taking any responsibility because they do give a choice. Do they use means of propaganda and other things like, you know, ways to kind of put us into a hypnotic spell? Certainly. But they still do present a choice. It's just that many of us are so, I don't know, dazed and confused. It's hard to actually make heads or tails of the truth. And of course, the word dharma just means truth or reality. That's essentially what we're striving for. And everything that's not rude in truth or reality is essentially Talmudic. Veganism, transsexualism, you know, all of these, these fake things that are these pogroms that set people back, set civilizations back, and also are exceedingly ruinous. So like usual, the word of the week or the word every two weeks, considering how it's been going thus far with the live broadcasts, all right, here we go. The word is blash, B-L-A-S-H, blash. A 300-year-old onomatopoeia created from blow and one of the several water-related terms such as dash in order to mimic the sound of a downpour with gusting winds. In the 1820s, the adjective form blashy came to describe overcooked vegetables, a thin soup, a watered-down liquor or ale, popularly called blashment. In Lincolnshire, blash eventually came to mean verbal nonsense or diluted ideas. So we could say that we are living in a society with a lot of blashy or blash ideas, right? A lot of nonsense, a lot of just 
clown world zio sludge zog crud so kind of an appropriate word albeit it's not utilized too much these days i've never heard someone use it in all my years on this uh, planet i've never heard someone utilize it but of all the words i think i've gone through in this forgotten english thing this one is short and easy to pronounce so i think that this one possibly could make a renaissance back and also the vampiriarchy one too that i think we went over last week with some of these are just a little bit kind of funny like pig and sigh and fix facts and sketches these are some guardy lou uh, gander moon flitterwochen tonsor these are ones of of uh, weeks past but this blash one definitely makes sense considering all the inane twaddle if you just have to you know take a gander at anti-social media or skim through some of the jugal stories to see the type of ridiculous nonsense that they're promoting out there i saw something yesterday that josh had actually posted on his page about saying that nature was only for rich white people um the hell does that even mean i mean are they only doing these studies in first world predominantly white nations because maybe in africa they've never not needed this because they already know what it's like to be outside on a more regular basis than we do because it's not really an industrial society i don't know i mean or is this a way for like self-hating lib shit whites to say oh i'd better stay inside it's racist to take a walk i mean who knows what people are thinking these days or rather not thinking but it's it's all blash i guess we can kind of agree on that so let's start out with some of the topics for today's broadcast and i've talked a lot in the past about nutrition on on many shows and I've mentioned kind of like the more scientific or kind of esoteric underpinnings. But today I want to, among many topics, talk about in more depth pro-metabolic eating. And I was kind of spurred to uh, divulge into this with more intensity after one of the listeners, I believe Tanja, um, asked a question on one of the last live shows, the difference between the Weston A. Price diet as well as more of a metabolic diet. And of course, the word diet is just kind of, you know, a loose frame regime, I think is a more uh, proper thing to say diet just makes me think of kind of restriction although when we use that word we know what we mean right so I want to spend time talking about that and I also want to weave it into Ayurveda or Aryan Veda because of course it is ours and how that system of the doshas and the best foods for us could also support us in a pro-metabolic way and all that really means is eating foods that support our body so we can be as healthy as possible, right? I know some people in these uh, milieus want to speed the body up intensely, which, you know, when people are going through a healing adaptation, what we may call illness and more of a Western perspective, speeding stuff up sometimes is really not the best way to go about it. That could actually stress somebody out whose organs are already working at a lag. So I'm seeing it in more of a, a gentle Aryan perspective, of course, not with that miasmic germ theory onlay, which many of these individuals in this milieu are, are still on the Zog bandwagon with that. So I'm going to do my best to put like a Aryan um, racialistic twist on this scientific stuff and then combining it with um, the ancient practice of Ayurveda. But first, a little bit about how to claim our freedom, because the way we eat and the foods we purchase and the dishes we make, all those choices, that's part of our freedom. Those are radical acts of resistance, especially in this world where everything around the corner, every turn is to get us to do something that's anti-dharmic, that's not rooted in the truth or reality, that defiles uh, us, that defiles the human spirit. So how do you claim your freedom? You stop acting like you're not free. You stop speaking like you're not free. 
You stop thinking like you're not free. And you stop listening to people who assume they are your source of freedom. This whole idea of a guru and all of this, be your own guru, right? I mean, isn't that better than sitting at the feet of someone? And that's what literally people would do back in the day. Imagine like sitting at the feet of like some Dravidian and taking what they think like as applicable to like your state of existence. Like you're your best advocate for your experience and what works for you. So if you reclaim your freedom, you're going to kind of reclaim your intuition along the way. And something else to keep in mind, we need to look at things that are currently happening here on Earth in an objective way instead of falling into a panic because it's a subjective perception of things. And I see this a lot. I see the panic stuff. I see the black pill stuff. And I think that all of this, seeing all these images, I mean, who needs to see a picture of an obese man with lipstick and a miniskirt more than once? That's enough for me, right? I don't need to see that anytime again. So when we're constantly being blackpilled with these heinous, unnatural, anti-Dharmic, Talmudic images, this can cause mental illness. I mean, this can cause like a, like a schism, a real type of just uh, splitting, um, you know, in the emotions and in the brain and the psyche, all this stuff. And even if we're eating groovy food, still, I mean, seeing this toxic Talmudic imagery really can't be healthy for the Aryan spirit now, can it? So we have to look at things currently happening in an objective way instead of falling into the panic. And I think the black pill is part of the panic. We have to, or we have forgotten rather, that we are spiritual beings here having a human experience, and we are taking the experience as real instead of reconnecting to our original identity. And part of, I think, being a racialist is reconnecting to our original identity. It's not being stuck in the 1950s where perhaps things were a slight bit better. And yes, I did a part two or a part, a two-part show about that being essentially the last white decade. And in many ways it was after they, you know, passed all that stuff where they lifted the miscegenation ban and then the Rogam shot hit the market, which of course is anti-D for women who are RH negative. Of course, the majority of RH negative people on the planet are white. Anyone who doesn't, who does have RH negative blood, who isn't white has to have our blood. So all these things, they were, the Immigration Act was passed, you know, all of this was happening like in the 50, late 50s, more early 60s. Yes, it was the last white decade in, in many ways, but we don't want to go back to that time and, and keep ourselves there because that really doesn't behoove us. I think we should go even further back and look even more if we really want to reconnect with our original identity. I mean, much of 1950s America was still deeply steeped in, in Extian values. And are some of those Extian values Aryan and white values? Certainly. But the kind of underpinning or the banner around it is Talmudic. It's, it's not Dharmic. Just like I said yesterday in that little Smurfs thing, it's antagonistic to the Dharmic path to see things from the Exian lens and, and vice versa. That's why so many Exians always like to call out things as witchcraft or the devil because that's antagonistic to their Talmudic lens. And are there people out there who are pro-white and do believe in like Exianity, maybe they believe that like JC was like a white guy. I don't really know what people necessarily believe. There's so many niche Exian beliefs. But when it really comes down to it, they're still believing in the Talmudic trimmings of, you know, lights out in the box and going to the big H if you eat a cube of Philip Minion for a lot of these people. So I mean you're still 
in that mode that someone is punishing you and someone died for your supposed sins, that is not rooted in reality or truth. So therefore it's a Talmudic belief. So, I mean, how can someone really reconnect with their original identity if they're stuck in the J box like that? I, I think it's, I think just believing those two things polar opposite as they are could induce some mental illness. So a little bit about there about reclaiming our freedom. It's really about stripping everything away, coming back into this path of truth and reality. That's really what it's about. And if things aren't rooted in that, they really don't deserve our time. They don't. I mean, why would we waste our time? Time is so precious. It feels like to me, especially in the last couple of months, maybe it's just what's happening for me in my life, but time seems to be moving so quickly. I'm not sure if everyone else can kind of feel that or agree with that statement, but time is moving so quickly these days. Like it's like I wake up and I'm like, whoa, it's the weekend already. And because I'm working on a lot of things right now and, and very focused and all those things, but it just seems like there's a quickening with time. It also could be where we are kind of from a astrological perspective. We have this, uh, this groovy eclipse happening on, on the 16th, um, coinciding with the full moon. I believe it's the blood moon, also known in some cultures as the hair moon. So I guess there's a lot going on. It feels like a very intense time of quick decisions and rapid changes. So maybe other humans, other souls out there are feeling the same thing. A bit more about retaining our freedom and how this works into kind of harnessing our emotions. So feeling our feelings, I think so much right now in the culture is about not feeling our feelings. Use this to zone out, use this to escape, use this to numb yourself. And of course, these are all just Talmudic trinkets. Have probably all of us listening right now done something like that in the past? Of course, maybe you're consciously doing it right now. But even if you are, know that there's possibly a better way to um, go about these things. So feeling our feelings, literally everything you feel is yours. It is an opportunity to own and harness your power. And are some of these feelings kind of unsavory at times? Of course they could be. Could they be very savory and ecstatic? Indeed, that's possible as well. And one of the things I like so much about Germanic New Medicine is that it makes you conscious of these patterns. And it also allows you via this pattern recognition to kind of comprehend what these emotional conflicts and triggers are. Like maybe something happens currently in your life and it harkens you back to yesteryear when you were small and this thing just kind of like bothers you and it creates some type of emotional conflict and then that can manifest as like a symptom, right? Or a health issue. So the more we can keenly kind of get intuitive with our feelings, the more we'll be able to kind of harness our power and that will be radical resistance to big Z. Something else, the problem is a solution. Every problem in your life has a value in helping achieve your life's purpose. And people might say, I don't want to hear that, you know, but it's overcoming these things oftentimes that allow someone to achieve their life's purpose. Like let's say someone who ends up becoming some type of profession, they never would have gotten in that profession if they themselves had not walked that walk prior. Like a lot of people who are in the healing arts, they themselves have had a healing crisis at some point in their life, or maybe someone very close to them has. Typically, it's themselves. So they're able to kind of use that to achieve their life's purpose. So the problem is a solution. And of course, if you're speaking from a dramatic new medicine perspective, the problem is also the healing, right? So the healing becomes a life's purpose. Very different the way that we see it via 
the Talmudic or the allopathic lens. And of course, the allopathic lens is Talmudic and vice versa, right? And finally, practice acceptance. Resistance is the sole cause of suffering and acceptance is the antidote to resistance. And of course, I know I titled the show Radical Resistance, but I think it's a different type of resistance just to be clear. We want to resist the Zio sludge, the Zog crud. We want to shield from filth. But that resistance becomes very easy and not like we have to fight or war when we don't really focus on it and when we allow all that anti-Dharmic, Talmudic belief system shitstems just to fall by the wayside. It doesn't become kind of like a focal point anymore, but accepting ourselves and where we are can be a way to kind of dissolve some of that suffering that maybe some of us feel. And they always say in Buddhism, which of course is a Talmudic, you know, religion, spiritual path, whatever you want to call it, that life is suffering. I mean, how different is that than the Eckstein idea that you're living in sin and this guy uh, died for all your sins before you were even born? Like I saw this sign the other day, whilst I was driving for this church, they were promoting like some Easter message or something. I don't know. And it said, he died for you. He died for your sins before you were even born. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm like, that's really deep emotional blackmail. So some guy who you don't even know, they're telling you that he died for your sins before you were even born to commit those supposed sins. I mean, gosh, that sounds like you're really getting like emotionally blackmailed and, and gaslit. So that's the type of stuff we want to resist. We don't want to be the cause of our suffering. We want to accept ourselves for where we are. Optimize always. I think a spiritually uh, advanced white human is always looking to optimize themselves in one way, shape, or form. Are they perfect right now from the Western sense of uh, perfection? Probably not, but that perspective of perfection is useless and futile. They say in our traditions in the East that you are already perfect, right? So when you strive for something that will leave you probably broke and suffering like in the western way you're already there it's there's no need to really strive for that but the point to drive home is that we want to not resist accepting ourselves we always want to accept ourselves and we don't believe that life is suffering you know that we want to put the seal on desire like they say in buddhism why desire is so sacred why would we want to put the, the seal on desire your desire to you know, eat steak, your desire to reproduce, your desire to breathe. Why would we want to put a, a crimp on that? So essentially, we want to resist, but in a very kind of smooth way, resist all this Zio sludge, all this anti-Dharmic bullshit, not by, you know, warring it or doing all of that. We want to resist it just by building ourselves up. So we'll be so orically strong, we won't even need to kind of get into that panic or that black pill, which we see time and time again. I mean, personally, I stopped following all those anti-social media channels that were like hella black pilled. I was like, fuck this. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time looking at these things. Like I said earlier, we've all seen an obese tranny with lipstick in a little mini skirt. Do we need to see it more than once? No. Do we need to see a woman who's cut her tits off and grown a mustache who like has a has a huge belly and she's pregnant for some odd reason she was able to and we don't need to see any of these crazy images like and the worst I'm thinking about now is that kids are seeing these images like I don't know what the hell I would have thought if I had seen some of these things as a child I hell I wouldn't even known what to think I mean I would have been I would have been creeped out 
And keep in mind, I grew up in New York. Like I went to New York City a lot. I remember seeing transsexuals in the 90s. Of course, I'm talking men, not women. The whole idea of women wanting to do that was really a very foreign thing to me until I guess the last 10 years or so. So I grew up seeing lots of transsexuals, but I guess it would be very different, like just seeing these these pictures where they're very, you know, scantily clad. I mean, granted, these were transsexuals that were actually wearing clothing. Like I've, I think possibly many of you know that picture that I'm talking about. It's like an obese, it's actually a white guy. It's an obese white guy with this huge middle section. And he's wearing this little like kind of cheerleader skirt with like thick pleats that's so short, I think it like exposes his penis. Or maybe like he has that adipose tissue area that kind of hangs down and is like a protrusion so you can't even see his penis. But Or if he even has one. I mean, who even knows? Like these are things that no one should see pictures of this. This shouldn't even exist, right? I mean, if these people really have these these problems, like these spiritual crises where they think this of themselves, like there needs to be some type of clinic. I mean... I know like the NSDAP like burned down Magnus Hirschfeld's transsexual clinic, you know, after they, you know, took control after the Weimar days. I mean, I would think that at some point if, you know, things straighten out in the world, there would be these clinics so people could could not do those things themselves, albeit once they've done those things, it's it's a bit of a rocky road to, you know, kind of get out of that, especially if there's been surgical or, or hormonal damage done. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just don't need to look at those things. Should we be aware that it's happening and have an opinion on it being, you know, very, you know, Talmudic and anti-Dharmic and something that causes um, spiritual suffering for, I think, just not just us, but collectively for every being on the planet? And, you know, that goes for everything, not just humans, but the flora and the fauna and, and Earth herself. Yeah, but to spend time like looking at it and saying, oh my God, look at this. It's so like, I think those times are over. I think we really have to focus on on bolstering ourselves and making ourselves as, as strong as, as could be in all the levels, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, sexually, you know, psychically, all of these ways to strengthen ourselves as opposed to just falling into these these black holes. Remember, that's Zog's like main goal, like the whole goal of the black cube is to basically put us into like a black hole of equality where like there's no sex, there's no race, everything is totally and completely equal. Like that's, they have some dream for that. It's like, they're like some like mathematical perversion going on in the Talmudic brain. Of course, remember that on the eighth day, essentially all of these entities have a terrible procedure happen to them during the first cycle of puberty, which um, basically hijacks the hypothalamus and it's like driving with no brakes and of course this procedure happens to our men as well but it is more deleterious when it happens on the eighth day that's why they do it that time and the muzzies of course do it during the second puberty cycle which usually happens around age 13. I mean there are reasons why they do these things there are reasons why they slice the throat when they do their butchery and they allow all the blood to drain out and then they heavily salt it I mean there are there are reasons why they do these things, and it's it's to be anti-Dharmic. It's to be as perverted and polluted and inverted as possible. So moving forward, to really get anything out of the sphere that is related to anti-truth and anti-reality is essentially the goal. And of course, I know this is true for me too. Many of us grew up just steeped and inculcated, totally enmeshed in 
many of these ideas that are exceedingly Talmudic that we probably just thought were family traditions, American traditions, you know, European traditions, Australian, New Zealand, South Africa, wherever you are in this world, South America, Iceland, you know, things like that. But they were really just Talmudic and hell, we didn't, we didn't know, you know. So as we go forward in this life, it's important to realize these things and realize that everyone's shedding their skin at a certain point, right? We're all doing it. We're all doing it at different paces, but that's essentially the goal. And something else to kind of close out this little little piece, this little monologue right here, is that they're always telling us via like veganism and, and the new age or the Jew age to be a little more, you know, apropos that we want to ascend. Oh, I want to ascend, you know, all this type of stuff. And isn't it weird when all these people are like literally starving themselves, like on those vegetation regimes or doing a supposed cleanse or a detox or just essentially just living on fruit, which is kind of bizarre for a European person just to live on tropical fruit. Is some tropical fruit in the diet when it's warmer out nice? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I enjoy stuff like mangoes and dragon fruits and stuff like that. But I don't just live on fruit. I, I live on, you know, a melange of different, you know, culinary delights, but they're always telling us that this ascension thing is, is all where it's at. And these people who are thinking they're having this like spiritual experience, which we've totally normalized in this society, this kind of like flighty, low blood sugar, possibly mentally ill type of thing. We think that these people are supposedly closer to God or godhead or more spiritual or whatever language you want to utilize that's kind of the opposite i mean don't we want to really root into the earth which would be ascension into the earth to become one with the earth as opposed to ascend away from the earth isn't that more of an extian belief right i mean the idea that you're going to go and be with jc i mean doesn't really make much sense. Don't we want to meld into this earth that has supported us, that has supported all the flora, all the fauna, you know, given us our food, basically created all this life? Don't we want to root into that? Doesn't that sound more Aryan and more Dharmic than just floating away, you know, wafting through the air like the invisible virus and then going to be with JC? It's kind of interesting how they promote the idea of ascension across the board, you know? Of course, not in any of the racial paths, because they never give any of those paths really any lip service. And if they do, they've always intertwined some perversion, like the whole neo-paganism or Wiccan scene. They're all into the, quote, anti-racism. They're all into the LGBTQIAV+, veganism. So they allow all this Talmudic, miasmic um, drift into, you know, their supposed Aryan uh, enclave, which of course it's really not. I've actually seen these neo-pagans online promoting like shit like BLM. I mean, gosh, their ancestors, I don't even know if the word nauseated is appropriate. I think their ancestors would just be at a loss more than nauseated. They would just be like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? You know, I mean, but yeah, that's really what we want. We really want to root in. That's the radical resistance, rooting into the earth, not ascending away from it, which is what they want for us. They want us to kind of not be connected. They want us to be disembodied. Transsexualism is disembodiment. Veganism is disembodiment. You know, all of these... Um, these divisive things against the sexes like feminism and MGTOW, this is disembodiment. You know, people blaming all their problems on the opposite sex, that's disembodiment. Even going so far to blame all your problems on any other race, like have they caused problems? Certainly. 
But if you just keep on keeping on blaming everybody from the opposite sex to majority races to the oives for all your problems, then you're never going to take responsibility for yourself. Now, are you right? It's so much easier to say, oh, he gave me the virus. You know, this group of people is causing all the problems. Like we see that's a victim mentality and they want us to be victims. They promote the idea of victimhood. We're victors. We're victors who want to ascend into the earth. We are not victims to ascend away from the earth. So that's a little bit for that piece right here, just an opening type of, of thing. Let's take a Gandhi at um, the chat, see what's going on in the chat right now. Okay, we got XO here. We've got a lot of cats here. We've got OG, we've got Ranseric, Country Girl, uh, Epiphany, Josh. So yeah, XO is saying typo negative looks very Russian. Yeah, I think he's, I think he is Russian. And I think he's he's a bunch of stuff, actually. He, let me just check out right here what it says about him. Peter Steele. He was in Playgirl magazine many, many years ago, actually. I think totally nude, uh, believe it or not. So let's see what it says. He has a very kind of like Slavic last name. His real name is Petrus Tomic Ratajicic. And his lineage is, let's see, his dad was Polish and Russian. And his mom was Scot Scottish, Irish, Norwegian, and Icelandic. So yeah, a good a good mix right there. Um, but he definitely kind of has that uh, that Slavic look to him. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Let's see what else we have. A couple more things right here. Okay, just everyone saying hola and great to be here. We got some new people. Someone is saying Noah Man is saying considered a mental illness not too long ago probably talking about transsexualism. Yeah, even the DSM, which is like the psychology, quote, Bible, which of course is, you know, probably very oiveified, obviously, because that's one of their, with the exception of Jung, you know, Carl Gustav Jung, who of the psychology field historically was, was European or white. Most of them are not, like Freud and all that type of stuff, right? So yeah, this is predominantly an Oive field psychiatry where they give out, you know, doctors use white pills or white pills is even more. But yeah, just like 10 years ago, I think transsexualism and transvestism were both considered mental illnesses. And in the 80s, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. So yeah, it's been going on for a long time. I would definitely say that homosexuality, which is something that has been going on for millennia is definitely more of a normative thing than transsexualism. But I think what's happened now with homosexuality is that we see this hormonally bizarre homosexuality. Like you don't have to be flaming and highly estrogenic if you're a homosexual male or be like the opposite if you're a homosexual female. But I think we're seeing so much gender bending across the board, whether someone's a hetero sexual, a homosexual, a transsexual, I think it's just a sign of the times. And when someone is a heterosexual or, or homosexual rather, or a transsexual, which is, you know, less normative, it seems like it's a trait that belongs to those two classifications of people. But I think it's just a sign of the times of what is happening. And like Epiphany is saying right here, great point. It's going to get worse with the soy baby formula being pushed. Yeah. And especially when a woman has a C-section delivery or birth in the Zogspital, sometimes there can be an issue with the baby wanting to latch on and then 
the soy formula comes about or with a lot of women having breast implants and not you know not wanting to breastfeed or with some women not having their breast milk come in because of so much stress and just a an ill diet so there's a lot of reasons why a baby would be given uh, baby formula, right? I mean, also now we're seeing a lot of youngsters being born with a tongue tie. This is very, very popular these days. And oftentimes they'll do some type of surgery to kind of alleviate it, but it doesn't get to the root cause, which is typically malnutrition. And I would say gestational emotional conflicts. I like to see it from both perspectives. I like to see the kind of like the Weston A. Price kind of um, perspective of stuff. And I also like to kind of see it from the dramatic new medicine perspective, kind of taking that really holistic Aryan perspective of things. But soy baby formula, especially in boys, because it's estrogenic, it actually is almost like a birth control pill for babies, which is just absolutely a horrifying thing to, to think about. But especially for boys, because they naturally have less estrogen in their tissues, it, it will cause gynecomastia, which is, you know, breast enlargement, and it will cause microphallus, which is a, a penis that just does not grow at a, at a regular rate. So, ooh, it is just, it's bad stuff. It really is. And I don't even know if a lot of people know, they might be thinking like, oh, it's vegan, you know, soy formula is good for the baby. It's got all these vitamins and then it has stuff like iron, which is never in breast milk or any milk. Milk of any animal actually contains lactoferrin, which is something that kind of mitigates the iron. So, I mean, it's it's a lifetime of, of Zog poisoning. It really is womb to the tomb. I did a show a while ago called Womb to the Tomb where we talked about all the stuff they want for us from the beginning of our life, even before we're born, you know, with all the MK ultrasounds and, and all that stuff and all the vaccinations they promote to pregnant women, not pregnant people, obviously, by the way. I actually got a note from one of the farms I get stuff from and they said just want to tell everyone or wish everyone a happy Mother's Day and they wrote mother in like big caps and they're like not birthing person day in case you were confused so if anyone knows that a birthing person is in a non-existent statement it's going to be farm folk right because they work with animals they know that you know the different sexes of animals are are different um, but yeah the soy formula is a total snare and that Bill Gibbs individual is working on a tranny milk. It's a milk that's going to mimic actual breast milk. Maybe it's going to be like the way they're doing those chicken nuggets with, um, you know, with bovine cells or avian feathers. They're going to probably use like a little bit of breast milk or maybe like the cells in breast milk to, to grow this transsexual breast milk because they're promoting all these interventions and these lifestyles that will make it very hard for women to breastfeed. And a lot of the boomer parents, I'm assuming many of us listening, not all of us, but many of us are um, the children of boomer parents. A lot of those parents were actually not breastfed because a lot of those women who were probably greatest generation or born in the silent generation, they were told that, you know, oh, this is just a waste of time. You know, why would you want to breastfeed? Why would you want to do that? So a lot of the programming is kind of caught up with us multi-generationally speaking. It's been a, a long time coming and we see so many things today in the world with all these, you know, deformities and things like this because this is multi-generational malnutrition and it's also multi-generational trauma. And it seems to be in some regards getting better and that's the radical resistance. But we also see in many ways it getting worse or people just accepting that this is quote genetic 
or this is just the way it was, or, you know, people accept a lot of stuff. In the Talmudic paradigm, people accept a lot. You know, that's really one of my biggest gripes with this whole Talmudic miasmic thing. They accept these things that aren't true because they're told it's true based on the Talmudic paradigm, and typically it's fear-induced, it's propaganda-induced, and they don't know that there's another show in town. Like with allopathy, it's the only show in town for a lot of people. And even when it comes to something like functional medicine, you know, Zog Light, it's the same paradigm. These are just allopaths that are utilizing herbs and supplements in lieu of Dr. Z's white pills, but nevertheless, it's still based on treating symptoms. And of course, symptoms are just signs of healing or adaptation. Josh is saying the ascension should be via consciousness and elevating oneself. Yeah, I agree. Like that should be it. It shouldn't be floating away and wafting away, right? That's really what it should be. It should be like kind of hiring ourselves, like you know, opening that crown chakra, opening the consciousness, elevating ourselves as opposed to just wafting away into the wind, right? Someone saying, love your dictation, very well spoken. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Josh is sharing a little thing right here. My son was C-section. He had no problem latching, so my wife was able to breastfeed him. Don't think we had any formula at all. So I heard there's a shortage of certain formula. So what if they're all made in China? Yeah, every every birth is different. It really depends if it's going to, I don't know, I guess how many interventions it was if the woman knows she's going in for a C-section, if it's a really intense labor. I mean, oftentimes people experience their birth when, like their birth when they were a baby, they experience it again when they're giving birth. And oftentimes men, if they're there to watch their wife or partner give birth, they will kind of re-experience their birth that they had when they were a youngster. It's always a good idea whether someone has children or wants to have children, to know your birth story and hopefully you can find that out if your mother is still alive or someone else in the family who knows the story because that gives us a lot of information about ourselves right you can find out like were you born under drugs were you induced were you a c-section were you given formula were you taken away from your mom right away were you born at home you know it's a lot of stuff to think about like me i had a pretty holistic upbringing when it comes to like you know lifestyle and things like that but I was born in the Zogspital after, I think, 36-hour labor. I mean, nowadays, they wouldn't have even, quote, allowed a woman in the Zogspital setting to labor for that long. And then I was uh, in induced birth. Um, Demerol was the drug of choice that was utilized back in the 80s. And I was whisked away um, shortly after I arrived. And then my dad caught the nurse giving me a sip of formula. And he said, no, no, she's not supposed to have that, even though... I was breastfed for five years, which is certainly a long time, especially in, you know, industrial society. Typically, it's done for, what, less than two years, sometimes less than one now. Tribes breastfeed for four four plus years, four or five years. But so I kind of had a very medical birth, even though I had kind of more of a, you know, natural childhood. Oh, and I think it was an episiotomy as well. That is when they uh, they cut the perineum. It's always better if it has a little, if it naturally has a slight tear. Of course, you know, a stage four tear is, is something else. Uh, that may be something that most people don't want to, to Google, but slicing that perineum tissue is it's pretty intense. And actually, I, I saw my first live birth of my sibling. 
years later, when I was, I guess, three and a half, it was at home. I saw it, and I actually saw the episiotomy occur again. And gosh, I think that was pretty traumatizing for me to see. I mean, I was expecting to see a, a home birth that was not medicalized, right? And yikes, I saw a home medical birth, which was something that it was the second time I've ever seen a live birth in my life. Then about 10 years after that, I saw my guinea pig give birth to four little babies and eat the placenta and lick them clean. So it's a very interesting thing to see. Also something that in this sanitized Talmudic world, they like to keep us away from, right? They like to keep it in the Zogspital setting and they like to take your placenta and they like to make all these skin creams with it, just like they do with the foreskin, right? I mean, this is black magic to the utmost degree. And of course they need to promote the idea of doing this in the Zogspital setting so they can get those pieces of your body, right? I mean, they want your body parts. It's, it's uh, when you're a little baby, they want all this stuff. It's really very, it's very creepy when you think about how all this works together and knowing the history of things like JRM, um, it all, it all fits together. But fortunately, because of one of the silver linings of, of Oyed AI, uh, they have had a renaissance or not, I shouldn't say they, I should say women have had a renaissance in regards to more home birthing because no one wanted to deal with all the Zio sludge of the fucking Oyed AI test and the costume. I mean, yeah, interesting to think that that was this, one of the silver linings of Oyed AI. Many silver linings of it. I mean, even if you didn't believe the PSYOP, like, you know, I didn't fall for it for a fucking second, it still was an inconvenience to deal with it. And now we're dealing with the ramifications. Now we have food shortages on the horizon, um, which I think is probably affecting, I'm not sure what it's like in Europe, but it's been happening around around uh, America. I actually even heard from a friend recently that one of the local stores had no eggs. No eggs. Oh, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, just a regular store that has like, you know, the shit eggs, not even like the pastured eggs, but no eggs in the store. So... Pretty soon they'll just have just egg. If anyone's ever seen that in the store, it's 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 dung bean or mung bean that's like whipped with like wargum and uh, zio sludge seed oils and turmeric to make it look like it's scrambled eggs. And of course they can't make like a sunny up egg. They have to actually make it into this scramble. But they're promoting this as eggs unfortunately. And there is a correlation to these kind of violent medical Zogspital births and a vegetarian diet. This is an interesting correlation to kind of bring this all together and talk about the baby formula and the transsexualism and gynecomastia and microphallus. But when a woman doesn't eat her ancestral diet, which of course would be radical resistance if a person is doing that, male or female, but especially since we're talking in the context of gestation, the tissues are very different. The placenta looks different in a woman who doesn't eat an adequate diet of animal proteins and animal lipids. We see more vaginal tears. We see more episiotomies. We see longer labors, smaller babies, babies with things like tongue ties, craniofacial malformation, uh, mental illness, slow to learn. You know, and of course, then we add vaccination to the puzzle and yowza, it's an intense thing. And there seems to be a correlation with some of these kind of more jwo or zwo vegans who are like staunch vaccination uh devotees and then we see kind of on the other spectrum more of like the crunchy vegans who would never get a vaccination nor give it to their children but 
this is when the whole vegetarian sludge really catches up with us is during, you know, the gestation or the childbearing years when these women's tissues just don't snap back, especially if they're having birth after birth after birth. It's very common now to pop out like three youngsters in five years. Every youngster takes 10% of our mineral reserve. And if we don't have the mineral reserve, we're going to age very intensely. Um, Ajnus von der Planet said a woman can age between six to eight years with every baby. So if a woman has three babies in five years, she could be aged 24 years, you know, or 18 years, let's say 20, 20 years or so for kind of like a roundabout number. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. And these problems may not even manifest until later in life or even earlier in life nowadays, because we're, like I said a little bit earlier, we're on this like third or fourth generation of malnutrition, many of us kind of being, you know, millennial age or so, possibly some of us Gen Xer. So we're on this like third or fourth generation of malnutrition. And now it's really starting to take a toll. And of course, they just promote all this stuff on YouTube, St. Juden's Hospital, you know, these children just happened to be born with, you know, all these cancers and stuff or acquired the cancer at a couple of years old. I mean, cancer is a dis-ease. It's a healing in Germanic new medicine, but it's a dis-ease and a dis-ease is a healing. Of course, it's a lack of ease. It's the adaptation or the healing of, of what we call sickness in Western medicine. It's extreme malnutrition. That's essentially what cancer is. And we see all these things happening nowadays from people believing horrific, the, uh, you know, um, ideology, religious ideology, to believing all these disgusting social ideologies like transsexualism and veganism, believing in these Abrahamic religions. This is all the result of being malnourished and propagandized and abused because many people say, a lot of vegan women have said when they stopped, you know, eating all that stuff and started nourishing their tissues with actual proteins and lipids, you know, from animals, they were able to see through the feminism. They could see through the transsexualism. They could see through the lib shit beliefs, right? So it is really everyone's goal to eat this diet that wakes them up to what's going on. For myself, when I became aware of the supposed JQ back in uh, 2017, I mean, I always kind of had an awareness to an extent, but I really didn't realize what I knew I, I know now until about five years ago. I came to that awakening eating raw meat. And I was someone who essentially was on the teeter of vegetarianism, sometimes even more of a vegan teeter for, gosh, I mean, decades. I made part of that my career path. I used to teach like vegan cooking classes, macrobiotic cooking classes. So for me to kind of eat the raw meat, that kind of opened up the doorway out of mundane and into this doorway of of the real dharmic path, right? Of seeing the truth in reality. And I know some people don't agree with the idea that eating meat is dharmic. Some say it's very unethical to eat meat. And some say it's okay to eat stuff like eggs and, and dairy. Some say only dairy is okay, that eggs are actually baby chickens. But I think that that is a miasmic Talmudic onlay onto the dharmic way of life. I think that it's sometimes difficult for people to understand and comprehend that to live takes death. I mean, you have to kill to live, right? I mean, if you want to eat your ideal diet and put up radical resistance, you know, to the system shitstim or just to this Talmudic, like, um, this miasma, this cloak that just kind of is covering, you know, the world, you have to do something that really takes a lot of energy and that's eating your natural diet, right? Which is something that a lot of people just don't want to do 
don't want to agree that it's the right path to do. I mean, how many people who are supposed meat eaters are just eating grilled chicken breasts? They'll never eat liver. They'll never suck marrow off of a bone. And they'll never do that. They'll never eat anything bloody. It just It's not on them. So a lot of people, I think, are vegan or vegetarianly minded, even if they're eating meat, because they're still not eating the way our ancestors ate. They're still not understanding that life takes death and death takes life. That's the entire cycle of how things work on this planet. So I think that eating meat is an act of radical resistance. And I think it's one of the most dharmic things someone can do because it roots you into the truth and it roots you into reality as well. Ranseric is saying they want us to hate nature and everything natural. Absolutely. And a lot of people already do. There was a gent the other day in the white wellness discourse saying that he loved living in the city and he loved working nine to five and he felt uncomfortable when he was in forest settings. I don't think he was trolling either. I think he was just being serious that that's what, I guess, made him feel comfort, I guess, on some level. I mean, I really couldn't relate to it. Granted, I don't live in like a super rural area, but nevertheless, I mean, some people, some people don't really like natural stuff. They actually kind of feel weird when they're somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi or where there's no screen, which is weird. Yeah. And also to OG too, um, if you, if your gal or your lady friend isn't able to breastfeed, you could always make a homemade formula or like Epiphany is saying, women sell their milk. You can make your own formula. If you go on the Weston A. Price website, they actually have a baby formula that you can make. One of them is actually dairy free too, but it usually has a couple of like superfood powders added to it, as well as either like a raw cow milk or a raw goat milk and some pureed liver. So you can definitely make this. And um, I actually know a baby in real life who's eating this formula and is doing very well. So you can definitely uh, give this to a child. This is one of the best things you can do if you can't breast, if she can't breastfeed. And also with the women selling their milk, you wanna make sure that it's good milk right? You want to make sure that the woman ate a clean diet and stuff like that. Because Ajna's von der Planet says that even if a woman herself can have her milk come in, you know, after, after birth, sometimes because of toxicity, he said that the actual formula, and he has a formula too in his books, that this is better for the babies because typically the goats and the cows have better diets than, you know, let's say a lot of us who grew up in more of a Zog setting. Just a guy is saying, we plan to breastfeed, but we got something called thrush, so only breastfed for a month. We found out that antibiotics from the C-section is what caused the thrush, yep, to take hold. That's what Zog doctors said anyway. That makes sense because what happens when we wipe out all of our bacteria, and of course antibiotic means anti-life, when we wipe out all our bacteria, we have more bacteria try to show up and proliferate because we've wiped everything out. And that's essentially what, what thrush is, which is an unfortunate. Um, and also with a C-section birth, the baby doesn't pass through the vaginal canal, which is where the baby gets its, its microbiome. Every baby, if you were born through the vaginal canal, you got your biome from your mom's vagina. That's what formed your, your gut, essentially, right? So if you were born C-section, you didn't have the opportunity for that. Now they're doing something in some hospitals where they're calling it seeding, where they'll actually wipe the vagina and they'll put that little like swab of um, cotton 
on the baby's like mucous membrane so it can get the bacteria that it would typically get from the vaginal birth it gets it from from this um, this seeding procedure which i guess is it's good that it's available but of course it would always be best to have um a vaginal birth but of course you know every every situation is is different it's not just diet um it also comes down to a lot of things like past trauma and belief in oneself it's it's like anything else right you can find women selling their milk og i think um on like craigslist and maybe like some mothering forums and things like that and i think it can stay frozen for a little bit of time probably like a couple of months but in lieu of that like i said you could always check out the formula let me just drop the formula in here right now just so we could help some people who maybe would find it harder for them to to look for it and also there's a really good book that the um weston a price foundation wrote about feeding babies and also a gestational diet so this is a homemade baby formula right here i'm going to pop this into the chat so everyone can see it here we go okay and i'll just post that book too this is a good book here we go. I think it's called Nourishing Baby. This is always a good gift to give to like a mom-to-be, like a baby shower. The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. I gave this um, to actually a friend who recently had a baby and she really liked it. So here we go. Okay, there we are. And that is true. Some women produce extra and they donate it to hospitals is what Epiphany is saying. And Josh is saying, I heard of a five-year-old who has kidney failure. Five. Oh, my. Yowza. That is, uh, well, I think that's, I've talked about this before on shows, how we're living right now in the industrial society and the dis-ease of industrial society is cancer, right? Which is an extreme disease, like I said earlier, of malnutrition, right? And we're on the teeter or the precipice of the futuristic society and what's the dis-ease of the futuristic society going to be neotic senescence that is when someone who's still in their neotenous phase like we talk about for biology and for animals they're in that neonate stage of still being an adolescent or a youth they're going to become senescent which means senile and basically aged so the idea of a youngster of age five having kidney failure is an example of neotic senescence. And that's exactly what Big Z wants. They want youngsters probably losing their hair at age 15, becoming sterile at 20. I mean, they have some gnarly ideas for what they want the future human to look like. I talked about this in a broadcast some time ago about how they wanted people to look. It was, it was really, really hideous. Or actually another thing, what people's bodies will look like once they... How, what people's bodies will look like from spending all this time indoors because you know being outdoors is racist obviously right we wouldn't want to be racist and be outdoors now would we so spending all this time indoors with the most piss poor posture totally fucking hunched over in a chair and how people are going to have like these humps on their back some people already have a hump on their back it's called dowinger's hump it's like right like past like the neck area it's from stress hormones and stuff like that but People should not be sitting on furniture or sitting on furniture as little as possible. When I do all these broadcasts, I sit on the floor. I sit on a pillow that has a piece of sheepskin on top of it. Um, 
And I'm actually going to be getting a floor couch pretty soon, which I'm really stoked about. It's going to basically just be like a futon on the floor with like couches. And I think I'm going to put my bed again on the floor. Um, that's where we should be sleeping. If we want to have good backs, we want to have good libido, we want to look good, you should live your life on the floor. I'm serious. I know it sounds kind of weird for some people, but we see all these problems with people's bodies breaking down, how many Americans complain of back pain. And of course, you know, we can't drive sitting on the floor. Like if we're in our cars, we can also possibly get something like a back pillow or something or do some stretches to mitigate such. But yeah, the importance of sitting on the floor is, is something that I think a lot of people in the wellness community completely and totally just don't really get. Rabid Wolverine is saying, I almost went vegetarian too, but then took a far right turn and went full carnivore. I think that happens to a lot of people sometimes. They kind of like think that, oh, we should be vegetarian because Hitler was vegetarian, which of course, that's not true. That was promoted, um, I think, to kind of get people who, you know, were Hitler advocates like on a, a low nutrition diet. And then a lot of people now they'll just swing back and forth. We see, I see a lot of like vegan taquito seems to be a popular thing and the ketotic diet is actually rather low in protein i think it's like 80 percent lipids so when you're eating 80 percent lipids how much protein are you eating like i think women should aim for 70 to 80 if not more definitely more if pregnant or breastfeeding and men should aim for 90 to 100 definitely more if they're active or if they're like bodybuilders but try tracking your protein for one day and you'll be surprised you're probably very much under eating your protein for sure Let's check out some more of the comments right here. Austin Collins is saying, thank you for all you're doing. Yeah, you're most welcome. Who's the author of the linked book? Rabbit Wolverine wants to know. Sally Fallon is the uh, author of the book. I'll just type it in right now. Sally Fallon. She is the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. And the book is purple, too. So if anyone's searching for it, that's an Amazon link, but you can find it other places. It's a purple cover, like a light purple cover. And the author is Sally Fallon. It's information about getting your body right with the foods to eat in the, the preconception phase, what you should eat, you know, during pregnancy, what to feed your baby. There's lots of recipes. There's information about vaccination, information about, you know, if you want to take your child to, you know, the pediatrician or not. There's a lot of information in there depending on where you're at in your journey. And like I said, it makes a great gift um, for someone in your life too. So I think we'll take a small little interlude because I'm going to eat a little protein shake right now um, because I like to eat every couple of hours. And we're going to be talking about that when we get back from this wee commercial or commercial by song break. We're going to be talking about a metabolic diet, getting enough protein, and how that can be an act of radical resistance. So I am your host, Tabitha. We'll be right back after this song. We passed upon the stairs Yeah. 
year back. That was Nirvana, the famous unplugged performance in 1994 with a David Bowie cover of The Man Who Sold the World. And we are back. I'm Tabitha. You are listening to White Wellness Radio. This is Radical Resistance. And we're talking about a lot of interesting topics right now. We're talking about everything. We're talking about birth. We're talking about death. We're talking about vegetarianism, meat, allopathy, Talmudicism, and living the way of the Dharma. And here's a little bit about what Dharma means. The Sanskrit term Dharma is commonly translated as natural law or natural way. Dharma derives from DHR, meaning to uphold, to support, and to maintain. Dharma refers to the laws, principles, and ways that uphold and maintain order, harmony, and justice in our cosmos. To be, quote, based is to have a base, foundation, and support. Dharma is the ultimate base, foundation, and support of all reality. And then it says on the bottom, and I'm not a huge fan of this word. I've kind of, you know, joked about this word on the broadcast before. Therefore, to be dharmic is to be based. Well, I guess when one does have a strong base, and I think a lot of us are searching for that, especially possibly after coming out of Christianity. We're looking for a base, right? We're looking for something that we can anchor ourselves onto, right? That can make us feel this sense of just support, having community, right? And I think oftentimes when we find this dharmic path, that can make us feel that way. And sometimes finding a real nutrition, nutrition, um, a, a way that's nutrient dense and supportive, a way to eat, that can also make us feel like we have some good support going on. And I know so many of us have kind of flip-flopped through all the diets. It's so easy with the whole YouTube thing. They're always promoting something, right? Veganism, ketotic, uh, you know, it's always something, right? It's always something new, offering quick fixes, all this type of jazz. So Epiphany is saying, I am way low on the protein, around 30 grams a day. Got it up to 75 yesterday, but I find it difficult and I lift weights. Yeah, it can be a bit daunting at first. I find that adding in collagen for like at least two beverages per day. I like the Great Lakes brand personally. I like to use the bovine collagen, which is really more for like joint health and stuff like that. And I also use the marine collagen, which is made from fish. That's like the beauty collagen for hair, skin and nails. I use both of these, but in the morning when I have a tea, I add two scoops to the tea, so that gives me 12 grams. And then what I, I was drinking on right now during the break was this little shake that I make with collagen, coconut cream, um, salt, maple sugar, vanilla extract, and an egg yolk. So it has 14 grams of protein, which is not really a lot for a protein shake. I mean, I could have used goat milk if I wanted to and made it have um, 22 grams, right? Or I could have added other stuff. Not a big fan of the whole casein powders and such like that. Um, casein should be eaten raw. It will hurt the tissue of the stomach. If it's eaten cooked, it will cauterize the stomach like tissue. And if you eat raw milk, then you could possibly get like a stomach ache. That's because the raw milk is trying to pull out the cauterized protein from the cooked milk. Not everybody sees it this way or believes in that, but that's why a lot of people feel like allergic to those products. Plus also that can put on like a ton of weight. That's typically what puts on weight with dairy. And we're gonna talk about dairy too. There's a lot of people out there doing dairy wrong. 
that's what puts on weight for people is eating casing that they can't digest. Everyone always thinks like, oh, it's it's the lactose, it's the sugar that I can't digest. And that might be somewhat tiny bit true if you're not used to consuming it. You can like lose your lactase enzyme just like vegetarians or vegans who don't take meat for a long time. Their stomach acid gets lower. Um, and of course you can you can build this up over time. It's just it takes it takes time to do this. But with a case of milk, it's the casein that causes the problems for people, especially the A1 bovine casein. Rabid Wolverine is saying, thank you. A few complaints about circumcision in the book, it seems, but that seems to be the only gripe. Yeah, I think they talk a little bit about circumcision in that book. Um, but I think in general, I don't know if the Weston A. Price Foundation has really ever come out and said anything about circumcision. They have been very much anti vaccination um but yeah the circumcision is a obviously a problem um it's a huge thing here in america and other other parts of the world but this seems to be where it really for you know for a white area for a white country america really takes the cake for it oh nice um country girl is restreaming on odyssey right now cool that's awesome thank you so let's talk a little bit about um the metabolic diet a little bit oh first i want to tell a little bit of this story i had I went to Whole Fools in person. I think it was last week or so. I hadn't been there in person in quite some time. I don't even really do too much shopping there. Sometimes I do, but uh, lately I've been trying to do shopping other places. So I went there in person because I just wanted to kind of go there in person and, you know, just look at everything, you know, touch stuff. I could actually have the real experience of being in the store. So I go in there and I just see, like, it's way zoggier than the last time I was there. And the last time I was there was probably, I don't know, three, four months ago or something like that. So everything is like, they're pushing this vegan plant-based thing, like literally everywhere, which I've been doing for a long time anyway, but it just seems like it's more saturated. Everything is like, you used to see on the label, remember the 90s, everything was like low fat. And then for a while it was like low carb or whatever. Now it's all plant-based, even like the most terrible stuff, right? There's also tons of conventional produce there. It used to be like only organic back in the day. So there's heaps of conventional produce because that's what they're promoting. They're just regular people are shopping there. It used to be like like the health crowd. Now it's just like people who will go to the regular grocery store or the food store. So everything's like vegan. People think it's like healthy. Um, I've noticed that most people who were there shopping weren't like literal shoppers like me they were actually doing the shopping for somebody else, like for their delivery system. So that was like kind of weird. I was like around like all these employees. Everything has polyunsaturated fats, AKA Zio seed oils, like literally everything. Everything is brimming with these, even all those plant-based things. Cause a lot of people have no idea. They just think, oh, butter causes high cholesterol and heart disease and obesity, which of course is the opposite of true. Of course, Zog always promotes inversions. Did a show quite a while ago uh, called Ansel Keys Zog Unsavory. He was the Zog Unsavory who did the dietary heart hypotheses study and skewed all the data to make it look like saturated lipids cause heart disease when it was really zioseed oils. So everything in Whole Foods is vegan, plant based, polyunsaturated lipids, and they're putting the iron fortification in literally everything. More things than I've seen ever before. And of course, this has been going on since like the 40s. After World War II, they started putting all this iron fortification, iron filings, heavy metal filings into the food supply, you know, because just for fun, right? And they, they boosted that around the 60s or so. But now I see all these 
vegan, gluten-free even products. Typically it's in wheat products, right? Refined wheat. But now they're adding it to all these gluten-free products because, well, they want people to be ill and they want people's bodies to rust out and oxidize, right? And they want them to go to Dr. Z and have Dr. Z tell them that they have, quote, anemia, which has nothing to do with having low iron. It's really actually having iron overloaded and stored in the wrong area of the body and being anemic of copper. And they want them to go to Dr. Z and get this injection of iron and then get sick from that and have all these intestinal issues and possibly get all these vaginal issues and go through an early menopause if necessary, even in general. So there's a lot going on. And of course, Whole Foods is a key player. They were bought out by Amazog. But if you want to avoid one thing in your diet besides the polyunsaturated lipids, it's the iron fortification. And be guaranteed that when you eat any breads and things outside the house, they're all going to be fortified with iron. Women during their childbearing years at least have a time once per a month where they can bleed it out. But men don't get the opportunity anymore because most men aren't engaging in, you know, knife fights and battle on the regular. So this is really the only way we get to detox it. A lot of people these days in the metabolic community are hip to uh, donating blood. Um, but I think that is necessarily, could it help? Yeah, but then you're giving away some of your material to Dr. Z or to Big Z, and I don't know how great that really is long-term, right? And also, if you have a rare blood type, they will never stop calling you. So if you have an RH negative blood type, or if you're AB, whether you're AB positive or negative, they won't stop calling you. So... Um, because they want it. And who the hell knows what they're doing for the blood? Is that blood going to an Aryan child? Probably not. It's probably going to, I don't know, a Rockefeller or something like that. Oh my God. And the most mind ogling thing I saw whilst I was at Whole Foods, and mind you, I was just there like getting like food. Like everything I bought was like one ingredient for the most part. I like wasn't buying like Zio sludge, obviously, but now they have this absolute abomination of hop water. So many of us know that hops are an ingredient in beer. Not originally, but after they passed these like Zio laws many centuries ago, they made this rule where all beer had to be made with hops. Before that, beer was like a, what they call a Groot Ale, and it was made with other types of herbs and such. But I think it was this Talmudic thing where they wanted beer to be made with hops because hops are highly estrogenic. Men who work the hop field typically get what's called brewer's droop, also known as erectile dysfunction. Young gals who work the hop fields would have early onset menses or possibly a short menstrual cycle if they were already uh, cycling. So hop is like super estrogenic. So it's been put in all these like hoppy microbrew beers for a while. And you see all these guys walking around with like tits and like a huge belly. That's from the hops, right? That's what's happening. And of course, they think it's like hipster type of stuff to have like all these like microbrews that are like super estrogenic. And of course, all the grains are treated with glyphosate too, which is super estrogenic and kills their gut bacteria. So they get this like humongous belly. So now they're making this fucking hop water. So if hopped out beer wasn't like bad enough, now they're making hopped water because, you know, water just as it is, filtered, reverse osmosis, a little bit of minerals added back. Nope, that's not good enough. We have to add an estrogenic plant to probably the shittiest water we can get and sell it to you in a can and tell you it's like super hip and trendy. Oh, and eat this with your vegan, poofa-laden, iron-everything diet. You'll be super healthy and you'll be saving the planet. That's what they want people to think. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're better off just hanging out, drinking raw milk, munching on some meat, eating some easy-to-digest vegetation that's preferably cooked. 
and some fruit and some raw lipids. That's really how we're supposed to be eating. That's a real metabolic diet. This whole idea of the blue zones, those areas of the planet, they always like to promote this idea that these people were 85% vegetarian. That's such a hoax. These people eat so much meat and fat and that's why they're healthy. Like the Okinawans, they eat goat sashimi. They have like specific like goat sashimi restaurants in Okinawa. They don't eat like brown rice and like that's it. They eat heaps of meat. They eat more meat than like the rest of like Japan. Just like in Hong Kong and China, they have a life expectancy of 86 in Hong Kong. Is it because they're eating rice? Well, they do eat rice. All those countries eat rice, but they also have the highest meat consumption per capita. So that's what keeps people going, right? And of course, they're eating like good meat, I'm assuming. It's not like the factory farm shit in this country. Like I agree with the vegan piece that we don't want to eat this factory farm meat. We don't want to support these factory farms. Obviously not. We don't want to eat kosher meat or halal meat either. We want to eat good regenerative meat that's hopefully properly prepared by a white family farm that owns their own abattoir, slaughterhouse, right? But just a little story there of my trip to Whole Foods or Whole Fools is what I like to call it. And just their push or promotion for the ZWO diet, which is totally Talmudic and uh, anti-dormic. Epiphany is saying AB plus gets called constantly. I'm sure. Yeah. Anything that has like a rare percentage. I forget how many people are actually AB plus, but it's it's not a lot. Um, so they want this. They want this material, obviously. Let's see what it says for AB plus. 3.4%. Okay. So that's actually even rarer than A negative or O negative. That's in the category of like B negative. And of course, AB negative, I think is the rarest um, blood in the world. They want plasma from these types, actually. They want you to sit there for two hours. Yeah, 3%. They want you to sit there for two hours and separate the blood from the plasma, not just sit there for 20 minutes and get, you know, the blood drawn. So that's how it goes. All right, so a little bit about um, what's called reparative eating, which is metabolic eating. I want to just read a little bit about this for everybody so we can get the idea of it. And this has very much become a, a hip and sassy trend as of late. And of course, whenever anything becomes hip and sassy and trendy, there's always room for it to be kind of, you know, um, co-opted. Like I said on the, one of the last shows, I think that they are definitely going to co-op Germanic New Medicine. Um, they would have to, right? So when you eat this way, a reparative style of eating, metabolic eating, what can we expect? We can expect very good things. Balanced blood sugar, lowered stress levels, improved thyroid function, sex hormone balance, strong detoxification pathways, increased cellular energy, deep quality of sleep, and eating nourishing foods every day, and the best thing about eating in this style, I'm going to use the word regime, not diet, is that we actually eat foods that we like. We don't flog ourselves, like eating stuff that we don't like. I mean, so many eating regimes and, and uh, fitness protocols are just straight up flogging, right? Like self-flagellation. It reminds me of that XD insect back in the day that would just flog and beat themselves up, supposedly get closer to JC. There was also something else back in the day called anorexia mirabilis or something like that. It was this XD insect of women 
who were literally starving themselves, like eating nothing as an anorexia to get closer to JC. So we can kind of see the origins of a lot of this starvation, especially with the vegetarian diet going back to the seventh day of Ventus, which is of course is an Extian sect. And they still have a pretty strong hold on the vegetarian lobby in this country in America. So a lot of this stuff is straight out of these um, Abrahamic religions. I mean, look, there's fasting in Extianity. In uh, Judaism, they fast for Yom Kippur for like 26 hours. In Islam, they fast for Ramadan um, from sun up to sundown for like a month. So we can see a lot of this is uh, rooted in these anti-Dharmic, anti-reality, anti-truth uh, religions. So how do we balance our blood sugar? What does eating for repair look like? How do we do this? So here are some little tips for you to basically, you know, take you through the day and how, how we're going to do this or how we eat. And you always could listen back to this and grab a pen and pencil and, and take notes and things like that. So what does this mean when we eat um, for repair, when we eat to basically have our bodies be nourished with keeping our blood sugar balanced? This is information for everybody, whether you are pre-diabetic, type one, type two, you basically never want to become a diabetic, but whether you are or not, this is quality information for everybody. So what does this mean? High quality protein, and by protein, I mean bioavailable animal protein. I don't mean lentils and a carbohydrate. Easy to digest carbohydrates at every meal and snack. So we don't just eat from one or two macronutrients. We eat from every macronutrient. And keep in mind that essentially every bioavailable protein, like let's say an egg, let's say shrimp, they already have the lipids, the saturated lipids intact as, as part of it, right? Of course, you could always add a little bit of like butter or ghee, duck fat, etc. on your meal or cook your meal with those things. So having a high quality protein and carbohydrate at every meal slash snack, eating every three to four hours, eating within 30 minutes to an hour of waking up, removing polyunsaturated lipids and synthetic iron filings from the diet. The polyunsaturated fats can disrupt the body's ability to use insulin properly. So they always like to say, oh, it's sugar that makes someone diabetic. It's polyunsaturated lipids and a host of, of other things. And the iron filings from all of those foods, even if you're not eating them now, they store in the tissues. That can scar the microvilli of the intestine. That's why we see so many intestinal issues these days, especially with a lot of young people. Something else is never to take caffeine in an empty stomach. Not everyone can do caffeine well, but if you are going to take it, do not take it on an empty stomach. That will really just blast your stress hormones. You want to lower your stress. Uh, cortisol and glucose spikes go together. So that's very important as well. A lot of times people who have blood sugar issues, they have stress issues too. It's said in kind of in a metaphysical context that Diabetes occurs when someone's life is no longer sweet. Have a regular bedtime snack. Um, oftentimes people have issues with waking up. That can be mitigated by having a bedtime snack. And having something with glycine in it can actually be really good. So maybe something with gelatin before bed can actually be good. Because if you're waking up in the early hours of the morning, that could be from having a liver that's fatigued, they say in the TCM. Uh, modality of healing, which of course was originally Aryan as well, just like Ayurveda, that if you're waking up, I believe between 1 to 3 p.m., that's the liver time. 
So that could be that your liver maybe has an issue with storing glycogen. That's what they would say from more of the metabolic or the scientific perspective. So having something with glycine, as well as all three of the main macronutrients before bed, can actually help you get good sleep. It's also good to have something with glycine or gelatin or a cup of bone broth before foods that are higher in carbohydrates. It's also nice to balance the amino acid profile of muscle meats and seafood by having some bone broth or um, a glycine rich food like, you know, gelatin or something like that, gummies. Some people in lieu of having the bone broth with, let's say, muscle meat like a steak or something, which is very common to have meals like that of yesteryear. Think of something like chicken soup, having everything together in one bowl. Kind of the modern version a lot of people are doing these days is having a couple of homemade gummies on the side of like, let's say a muscle meat meal, like a steak or a chicken breast or something. Also cinnamon can be helpful for um, eating with high carbohydrate foods, especially the traditional Ceylon cinnamon, which is very different than the Indonesian Koranese cinnamon. Ceylon cinnamon comes from Sri Lanka. It's a lot lighter in color and has like a lemony essence. That's true cinnamon. That can also help some people with um, blood sugar balance. Of course, you don't want to OD on spices. Spices are very strong um, and using too many of them could affect hormonal levels. So that's a little bit about eating to balance our blood sugar. What about lowering our stress levels? What about this? What about how we can do that when we're eating? So eating with our blood sugar in mind, avoiding industrial processed foods with additives and poofas, any foods that have gums, natural flavors, um, all this is io sludge. Removing excess nuts, seeds, soy, legumes, and properly prepared grains. These can be very inflammatory for many people and inflammation and stress go together. And this may not have to be 100% all the time for people, but if you've got like a real bad gut issue going on, these foods can be harder to digest, especially if they're not properly prepared. If you look at the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, and he went around the world, you know, checking out different people, all the different races. He checked out, you know, the Negroids, the Mongoloids, you know, different Aryan races. He went all over the place. He found that people had a common theme within the context of their diet. They all ate different stuff, of course, because different things grew there and different people eat different things. But they had methodologies of preparing these foods. Nuts and seeds were often soaked and sprouted. Soy was only eaten fermented. Uh, legumes and grains were soaked, sprouted, or fermented. And nowadays, we don't do that. We do the exact opposite. How many ketotic things in the store do you see that are almond flour is the base or grain-free pastas made with chickpea flour. Do you think they're soaking those chickpeas and getting rid of the anti-nutrients? I doubt it. They're probably blasting it at high heat, sealing all that in, and then making it so hard to digest. So just to keep in mind, oftentimes these foods we're told are heart healthy and plant-based. They are plant-based, but they, not, they need some preparation in order to be bioavailable and they're never going to be as bioavailable as animal foods. Animal foods don't have any anti-nutrients, right? Never eat carbohydrates or sugar without protein. We see this a lot in the Western context. People just, let's say, I don't know, like eating some sweet without balancing it with like protein and lipids. That's a bad move. Eat ancestral lipids, butter, tallow, ghee, coconut oil, lard with meals, traditional lipids, right? Limit alcohol, especially sweet alcohols, or give it up altogether if it's a problem for you. Removing gluten could be helpful for some if you're troubleshooting symptoms. And this is most important 
removing the gluten that's not sourdough. Sourdough mitigates some of the ill effects of gluten. It breaks down the, the uh, anti-nutrients and it's more digestible. For some people who are in the process of healing their gut, they may be better just temporarily deleting this, but it's really not a good idea to eat gluten that hasn't been broken down like we were just talking about in the context of nuts and seeds, soy legumes, and properly or poorly prepared grains rather. Never drink coffee on an empty stomach with or, uh, without fat or sugar. This whole trend of waking up and having a black coffee and then, you know, slamming it out at the gym, going ham, not a good idea. Can people get away from it for a little bit of time? Sure. Can men get away, from, get away with it longer than women? Yeah, but eventually everyone hits a wall. Staying hydrated with filtered mineral water, that's a good idea. Pellegrino and things like that are good too. You have to be careful with some of the mineral waters. Some of them are very high in calcium. Um, we're better off getting our calcium from fish bones, uh, well-cooked leafy vegetation like kale, uh, as well as the dairy foods. Drinking bone broth and collagen gelatin-rich drinks are some of the greatest sources of amino acids, um, such as glycine, which is not in muscle meat, by the way. And this can lower stress and balance the blood sugar. That's why prior, when Epiphany was mentioning that she wasn't getting enough protein, she found it hard. I recommend taking some of the collagen. Like for me, I get about 24 grams of my protein these days from the collagen powder. I have two servings per a day. So doing that helps me round it out with everything else. I like to have in the morning chicken sausage. I usually eat like a small breakfast beforehand with like, you know, some collagen and some tea. I eat like a smoothie bowl with like pollen and raw cream. Then I'll have some chicken sausage. Then I'll do some of fitness. Then I'll have like a sandwich of like sourdough bread with like two or three eggs and some raw goat milk. I get like 20 grams there. I get 18 grams for like the first meal. Then I'll have like a drink like I just had before. Then I'll have my lunch. Then I'll probably have something else. Then I'll have dinner and then I'll have something else. So I do eat more frequently, but I feel better this way. And digestion is better too, because the idea of eating like this huge bomb of food and then needing the energy or the acid to break it down can be kind of hard. And if you're out and about, you can just pack a cooler. When I was um, out and about more and like not working from home, I was bringing a cooler with me to work. I was getting some funny looks in the elevator and stuff. But you know what? I looked good and I felt good. So, you know, you can deal with the funny looks and people actually might even inquire and say, hey, what's all that stuff you got right there? Eat every three to four hours, including within 30 minutes of waking up and a bedtime snack. Uh, eat until satiety. If you're constantly overeating, you may not be eating enough high quality protein or enough carbohydrates for the energy that you need. So that's something to think about there. A lot of times this overeating and these cravings and binging, it happens because people aren't really getting the nutrients that they need. Like when someone like, let's say, binges on ice cream when they're, you know, keto or vegetarian or whatever diet they're doing, doesn't even matter. It could be even the, Z the ZOG SAD diet, the ZWO diet, whether it's the vegan version or the non-vegan version. If you're binging on ice cream, that means that your diet needs carbohydrates and saturated lipids and you're not giving it to yourself, right? Also make sure to eat in a calm state and not whilst commuting or rushing, not just shoving something down your throat while you're behind the wheel. That's not so great. So a little bit of information there about what it means to eat metabolically, right? To, and a lot of us 
feel so much better when we eat like this. And when you think about, speaking of the 1950s again, earlier we were talking about that and not trying to idolize that part of um, history, even though that probably was one of the last, you know, white decades before all the pogroms that we know of. But back in the day, the average housewife in the 50s spent a lot of time in the kitchen and she was constantly nibbling, right? She was probably having breakfast with the kids and the husband. And then she'd be in there and she'd be working on, you know, lunch if they came home for lunch or she'd be working on maybe something for a dinner party or something for the evening or maybe something for later in the week. And she was always nibbling on something. And these ladies stayed slim and trim because they were not allowing themselves to starve or just eating something off of like their youngster's high chair and calling that breakfast with a, you know, a cup of like hot coffee with with um, with no fat and no sugar in it. Right. That's not breakfast. It is for many people, but that's not really breakfast. So here is a little bit more expanding on this metabolic topic. Let's just take a Gandhi in the chat right here. Um, Josh is saying getting mineral water from springs and caves. Yeah, I can definitely do that. And a little bit more about thyroid function, eating for thyroid function. This is pretty important stuff, I think. Um, a little bit right here. So a lot of people are talking about the thyroid these days, and it's just one gland. It's kind of like the check engine light in the body. Let's consider it like that. Um, but a lot of things can be kind of, I don't know, respond differently depending on how this is functioning. And oftentimes when people become hypo, thyroid. They've had a time in their life when they were hyper because what comes up must go down. So the thyroid is the metabolic powerhouse of our whole body impacting how other hormones work, how our bodies use food and how for fuel, respond to exercise, generate heat and all that matters for fertility and sexual behavior, right? So there's a bunch to say here about this. So you want to get iodine. That's really important. And I think the best way to do this is not necessarily through a supplement, but getting it through seaweed, seafood, dairy, egg yolks, and iodized salt. Those are all good things to have in your repertoire on the regular. Filter any of the xyl sludge out of your water, like the synthetic fl fluoride and all that crap. There is a link between thyroid suppression and synthetic fluoride. Of course, what did they tell us? That fluoride was going to make our teeth good. No, it suppresses your body's check engine light and it makes you docile. Of course, they told us the opposite. Ensure that you're getting enough minerals such as calcium, zinc, selenium, and copper from your foods. If you're eating a whole foods animal-based diet, if you're eating shellfish, liver, seafood in general, uh, raw dairy, this should be no, no issue. It's just are you absorbing it essentially based on your gut health, right? Ensure you're getting enough fat-soluble vitamins from your food. Fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, K. Of course, we're talking about K2, which is in things like duck fat and gouda and parmesan and poultry liver. K1, of course, is in green vegetation and orange vegetation. Very different. Ensure you're getting enough proteins, fats, and carbohydrates so your body will produce adequate amounts of the thyroid precursor T4. Eat for liver health so your liver can convert T3 into active hormone T3. Ensure you're getting enough nutrients for ovulation. This is for females so that you can produce enough progesterone during the luteal phase. Uh, eat a raw carrot to detox excess estrogen. The guys can do this too. You can make it into a salad. I also find that making like this cranberry drink, I posted a recipe for this on the Vedic Sex channel, which is becoming a very popular channel. That's my favorite channel, by the way, of all the white wellness channels. I really like that one the best, but you can make this cranberry cooler. You can find the recipe on that page. That's also a really nice way to detox estrogen and 
Cranberries are a good source of iodine as well. And just to recap, you want to avoid soy, unless a little bit of fermented soy, if you're okay with that. If you're probably like Hashimoto, you may not want to do that. So avoiding soy for the most part, besides maybe like namashoyu and a little bit of miso, avoiding polyunsaturated lipids, um, foods that are iron fortified, excessive um, nuts and seeds and legumes and ill-prepared grains will help lower dietary estrogens and making sure to eat cholesterol rich foods, which Big Z always tells us will cause heart disease. Nothing could be further from the truth. And having a bit of high cholesterol is protective to an extent. Now, do we want it super high? Super high is typically a sign that thyroid hormone is low, sex hormones is low and inflammation is high. But as people get older, Having low cholesterol, you see these people just drop dead who have taken things like Lipitor, especially if they drink and they take it, they can get like a, an Alzheimer's, like a wet brain type of thing, and they'll decline very quickly. I've, I've seen it happen in real life. It's very, very sad to see, but cholesterol is protective and our sex hormones are made from cholesterol. So wouldn't it behoove Big Z to tell us to eat this vegetation, um, gas chamber, fart factory diet that would lower our sex hormones? Of course it would. That's what they want for us. They want us to be docile, that we are putting up radical resistance. Here's a bit about eating to um, balance the sex hormones. Very important stuff. Our sex hormones work cooperatively with our thyroid and stress hormones and are very sensitive to stress, nutrient deficiencies, and estrogens in our food and products. We want our food to be feeding our reproductive organs so they can produce adequate sex hormones all month long. This goes for guys and gals. And here's a bit here. Lowering stress levels, especially for ladies during the follicular phase, which is the first two weeks of your period, by um, after your period, rather, like the first 14 days of the cycle or so, give or take. Of course, a normal cycle is 21 to 35 days through eating nutrient-dense meals every three to four hours. And after ovulation in the second half of the cycle, when progesterone is higher, you actually need more calories. You actually might even need two to three calories, two to 300 calories more per day. Um, it'll actually also make you hungry. You'll actually notice if you're very attuned to your cycle. And I wasn't like this for years. Like for years, I had no fucking clue where in the month my cycle was. I just knew when I wiped one day and I saw blood that my period was starting, but I had no clue where I was before that. Like in my 20s, no fucking clue, like zero. And I think a lot of women probably are like this, but I think it's, we're really changing the tide with this. But after you go through that time when, you know, you're post ovulation and you're having your progesterone raise in the luteal phase before um, menstruation starts, you're going to be more hungry and you should eat more and not feel bad about it or anything because your body needs food, right? Removing estrogenic foods and products from your diet and body care. This can be a gradual thing, especially with the body care. I've done many shows on this too. If anyone wants to go back and listen to those shows, there's quite a few. Eat the raw carrot. We just talked about that. Um, high quality dairy can improve natural progesterone production. I only recommend raw dairy if it's um, protein rich. If you're only able to get, let's say, cooked butter, since there's really no protein in butter, just like ghee, that would essentially be acceptable in my eyes. But I wouldn't recommend... Um, the other stuff because I think when the protein is cauterized it, it causes it causes gut damage so if all you can get is dairy that's not raw stick to the stuff that isn't isn't protein rich stick to like the sour cream the cream cheese um, the heavy cream the ghee and the butter limit or remove alcohol from your um, repertoire during the follicular phase this is for ladies and just to recap making sure you're getting adequate um, 
minerals, magnesium, zinc, selenium, copper, and iodine. This is very important. Magnesium you can get from your food, but also nice to have the magnesium spray, take a magnesium bath, um, take magnesium glycinate in the supplemental form. So a lot of things we can do to get it, of course. And it all kind of works in tandem. That's why the whole idea of taking this for this and this for that, I like to see the whole body as a circuit, right? As opposed to just like kind of the compartmentalization that, that Zog and the Zog light functional things promote. So yeah. All right, a little bit more here about reparative eating. Let's see. Also making sure you're getting um, enough... Um, Vitamin C and vitamin B, this is important too. All of our organs need that. We also need glucose and bioavailable protein, fat-soluble vitamins and minerals, all really important. Avoiding uh, fortified foods. We talked about that already, but I can't um, emphasize that enough. I think that's really, really, really important. And um, getting carbohydrates, not just from grains that are properly prepared. If you don't do grains that well, you could also do ripe fruit, um, soaked white rice, of course, which is a grain, but it tends to be one of the most easily tolerated grains, uh, root vegetation, uh, tubers, things like that. A lot of things that a lot of choices, depending on what you like, right? You got to figure out what you like and what works for you. And I think that's about it for this little session right here. We talked about the importance of glycine and things like that. Um, talked about eating consistently. And something I like to do is I like to know what I'm going to eat the day before. I find that to be very, especially with breakfast. Breakfast, I pretty much keep the same most days, or at least I will for like weeks at a clip. I'll keep it the same. And then eventually I'll be like, yeah, I'm a little tired of this. I think I'll add this or the seasons change or something, you know, is available and I'll get that and I'll just mix it up a little bit, you know, depending on what I want to do, what I fancy. But right now the breakfast that I mentioned prior with uh, the tea with collagen, the smoothie bowl with uh, raw cream and pollen and chicken sausage has, has been one of my, my standbys for quite some time. I look forward to it every single morning. So I like to have that. But yeah, you just kind of want to know what you're going to make. Like, I think it's really important to know what you're going to make for dinner the night before. Um, and also just kind of be planning it out throughout the week and, and shopping for that. So to kind of recap this little session of the broadcast, what are some reparative foods in every category, just to kind of give everyone an idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about reparative foods from a protein, lipid, and carbohydrate perspective. Let's start with carbohydrates, honey, fruit, root vegetation, juice, if that works for you. I like fresh squeezed juice only. Maple syrup. Uh, white rice, sourdough bread, things like that. Um, other grains, if they work for you as well. I also like tubers, like sweet potatoes and potatoes. And with the raw honey, the fresh juice, and the maple syrup, I wouldn't make these like mainstays. Are they sometimes easier to digest than the other things? Yeah, but I think that these should be used in like small amounts. Like I wouldn't get all my carbohydrates from honey, for example. Like for me, I'm more likely to lean towards like white rice, white rice noodles, um, roots and tubers, and then use a little bit of honey and maple syrup to kind of sweeten desserts or like, you know, to garnish things and then have a serving or two of fruit throughout the day. What are some groovy lipids that we can add to our repertoire? Naturally occurring lipids that are already on your meat, like let's say a steak that already has fat on it, butter, coconut oil, tallow from lamb, mutton, or uh, beef or bison, 
ghee, pastured lard, a little bit of extra virgin olive oil in moderation, preferably raw as a garnish, full fat dairy, egg yolks, coconut milk, and a little bit of cacao or cocoa if you can tolerate it. Of course, it also can be a little high in estradiol, which is one of the types of estrogens that's usually dominant during the childbearing years. And it is also a source of caffeine. And finally, what are some of the groovy proteins we can consume? Bone broth, grass-fed beef or bison, lamb or my favorite mutton, dairy, eggs, uh, organ meats, uh, shellfish, especially bivalves or mollusks like oysters, um, pastured poultry, collagen protein, and gelatin protein. And this list may sound rather lean, but you can make wonderful combinations cooking with this. And of course, you know, adding spices and adding seasonings and adding in some herbs and maybe some cooked vegetation and stuff like that. You can really make yourself some great meals. I mean, I kind of use this as my standard template and I make some fantastic meals uh, for myself and the other humans in my life. So a little bit there, I thought that was um, worth going over. I, I hope that was enjoyable and uh, informative for you, the listener. And now let's talk a little bit about uh, milk. I want to talk a little bit about milk and how most people are doing milk wrong. And someone said, sounds racist. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or uh, a jab. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I guess, thanks. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about uh, milk and dairy and how this food is, is misunderstood, I would say, is the best way to kind of describe it, misunderstood a little bit. All right, let me just find the notes for this. Where is it? I had to save this. I made, I made a post about this the other day um, on the Vedic Sex channel, and it went over pretty well, I would say. A lot of the posts there are... People are fancying the posts, which is which is good news. So I want to talk a little bit about milk, and then I wanted to talk a little bit about what meat is best for our dosha. Uh, of course, typically when we're talking about Ayurveda, people think, oh, that's just a vegetarian regime. And well, that's not necessarily true, at least not the the old ways of, of doing things in this way. And there actually is some context to what meat you should eat for your dosha. And I'm not going to go over the doshas too much because we don't really have too much time for that. But you can easily take a dosha quiz and find out which one you are. Some people are a combination of two. Some people are tri-doshic. So we'll talk about the milk, which also works into the whole dosha thing, which is basically your constitution, essentially. And then we'll talk about what meats are good for each dosha and which meats are not so good for each dosha. Um, what is the live studio? Someone is asking. This is the live studio right here. Uh, you're in the live studio. Um, I'll give the link for the sex channel too. Let's see. Um, Vedic sex and fertility. Let's see. I've got it right here. Okay, copy. Here's the channel. There we go. Okay, there it is in the chat. So a little bit about milk, and then we'll talk about different proteins for different doshas. So here we are. There's a little post that I wrote on the Vedic channel. As of late, I've seen individuals in the metabolic community espousing the benefits of dairy, whilst not comprehending the Ayurvedic Aryan way of enjoying milk. It has become trendy in the movement, this movement, to overeat, and many devotees are either overweight or borderline obese. 
Refusing to see the errors of their ways, they refer to the extra weight as, quote, healing pounds. And yes, that tends to be a trend that I've, I've noticed um, with some humans in this, quote, movement. I don't even know what the hell a movement or a community is anymore, uh, especially with, you know, the unraveling of this, um, this pro-white community. But you know what? As this community kind of unraveled, this pro-white one, a new one can crop up where people actually care about what they're eating actually care about living a dharmic life, right? I mean, isn't that the whole idea that we outgrow something and then we find something better? So here's a bit about dairy. Milk is a food, even though it is a liquid. One eats milk. One does not simply drink milk. Ayurvedic knowledge states that milk is a sattvic food, noting a class of foods that are fresh, juicy, light, nourishing, and tasty, and thus give necessary energy to the body and help achieve balance. Milk is anabolic, building, not reducing. So if consumed in abundance, it can put on weight. This is especially true for A1 and pasteurized protein-rich dairy like milk, ice cream, and cottage cheese. And I would also add to this casein, like casein powders and things like that. I mean, I think the healthiest protein powders would be collagen powder, essentially, or just do what the old school bodybuilders used to do and make a, make a shake with like, you know, raw eggs or raw egg yolk and, and raw milk, right? Bodybuilding was a lot healthier before, you know, the advent of all these proteins. And now you have these people eating these vegan, quote, proteins, which are just fart factories. And, well, there's no protein there. And then, of course, these people are all taking steroids and it's a disaster. Milk is a great food for pregnancy because it is easy to eat, can quell nausea and prevent dehydration. Raw milk is a groovy source of protein, lipids, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals and enzymes. Milk nourishes the deeper tissues of the body, such as the reproductive organs, the Shutra Datu in Ayurveda, from which the ojas, the vigor, is created. It also fortifies the nervous system, especially the lipid-rich dairy foods like raw cream and butter. Milk is not a one-size-fits-all. There is a massive difference between slightly warm or room-temperature raw milk versus cold, pasteurized, zio-sludge, quote, milk, straight from the carton. Milk is served and the latter preparation can lead to congestion, allergy, obesity, and heart disease. As you can see, milk is used widely, but not wisely. Quantity is essential. Vata, that's one of the doshas, vata types can enjoy more milk than the kapha types. Vata types especially benefit from the lipids in milk. The extra lipids help cushion their nerves. And vata is the, the Ayurvedic doshic type that is always frazzled, can skip a meal easily, dry hair, dry skin, can't like sit still, restless, um, tends towards constipation, uh, doesn't like cold food. Like that's like the vata style of, of person. Spices help warm up the cold nature of milk, rendering it a lighter food. Typical spices include cardamom, turmeric, cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg. A wee bit of honey can also help balance the qualities of milk. A mug of slightly warm milk before bed promotes deep sound sleep. A teaspoon of ghee added to the milk is an effective constipation remedy. Milk blended with almonds, dates, and cardamom is an ojas booster. And of course, I would recommend soaking the almonds if you were inclined to add them and not taking the peel off as well. To warm milk, place it in a glass jar with the lid tightly sealed. Immerse in a bowl of warm water until it is desired, the desired temperature is reached. Heated protein-rich dairy or pasteurized dairy is cauterized and will cause digestive issues. I don't see anybody in this metabolic community, and I'm not really part of any community besides, I guess, white wellness and just, you know, just being me, just being Tabitha, 
And I, I hope everyone else is kind of the same way. Don't listen to any gurus. Just just be yourself and, you know, take pick and choose where you get your information, even from this show, because, you know, it's, it all has to go through your lens to make it work for you. But I don't see anybody talking about this. So I just wanted to kind of give an idea of how milk is really supposed to be used from an Ayurvedic perspective. Because there's a lot of, you know, bullshit, a lot of shit being talked about milk, a lot of like super pro shit about milk. So I think it's important that we have this idea of how to use milk and how it's not a one size fits all type of thing. Yeah, your totes welcome for the link too. And just to round out the show, just a little bit about protein because we get most people, I think we get enough fat. We may not be getting the right types of fat, right? Especially as some of us are still eating the seed fats and stuff like that. And I think not even fair to call it a fat. Those are oils, right? And most of us probably get enough carbohydrates unless we're doing some type of starvation routine like ketotic um, diet or something like that. Maybe not the right type of carbohydrates, but nevertheless, we get them. But most of us, especially women, we struggle to get enough protein. So I wanted to go over just the best proteins for each dosha. And then if you're inclined at some point, you want to take a dosha quiz, just go online and find a good dosha quiz and take that and you'll get an idea of what the qualities are for each dosha. They're usually kind of like emotional personality qualities as well as like physical qualities as well. And by the way, I'm a pitta because there's three. There's the vata, pitta, and the kapha. I'm definitely the pitta, which is the middle of the three. It's like the fiery one who tends to overheat, who's just energetic, like a rapid talker, articulate, uh, sharp, but also can be prone towards like, I guess, anger at like the, the bad. It's like, it's good and bad. It's like when you're reading like a, a horoscope and you're like, oh, what's the good and bad of Taurus? What's the good and bad of Scorpio? It's, it's like that. It has both back and forth, right? And as you go through life, you can, it can change. Your dosha can change. And also to understand, to take note of this, is that everyone's born with a constitution that they have when they're born. That's like, that's who you are. And you can't change that. But you also get a constitution from the things you do in this world, right? The choices you make. So if you choose to become an alcoholic, that will affect your constitution. You choose to lift weights, that'll affect your constitution, right? Obviously one bad and, and one good, depending of course how you do it. I guess you could lift weights the wrong way and overdo it or just fuck yourself up from doing it. But um, we get those two constitutions. So here's a little bit about animal proteins to favor. So for the vata type, which is kind of like the scattery like uh, type that like, you know, skips meals and such and is frazzled, their nerves are always kind of fried when they're like out of balance. Vata proteins best are beef, buffalo, chicken, both dark and white meat, eggs, fish, sea and freshwater, salmon, sardines, shrimp, tuna, turkey, white and dark. And what proteins should be avoided, they say, for vata? Lamb, pork, rabbit, and venison. Oh, my channel is shadow banned. Interesting, uh, Mika Eel is saying. Your channel, Sexy Aryan. Can't be found through the global Telegram search. Maybe it's shadow banned. I wouldn't be surprised if it's shadow banned, Mika, because there's some very, uh, I guess, enlightening information on there. Um, but yeah, it is it is up and running. I'm always posting stuff um, probably a few times a week, if not more, over there. But um, yeah, thanks for letting me know that it possibly could be shadow banned. I'm not surprised. Um, a lot of channels are actually totally and completely banned on Telegram, and mine aren't because I don't use like vulgar language um, or like coarse type of, you know, vitriol, vitriolic language. But yeah, it very well could be shadow banned. So that's a bit about vata and the proteins to eat. 
Next is Pitta, which is like the fiery kind of like quick and fast type. Um, Pittas typically have like a hair that has a bit of like an auburn undertone sometimes. It's one of like their physical characteristics. I think green eyes or like hazel eyes could also be very Pitta. So here are the best proteins for Pitta. Buffalo, white meat chicken, egg whites, freshwater fish, rabbit, salmon, shrimp, white meat turkey, and venison. And what to avoid? Beef, dark chicken, egg yolks, uh, fish from the sea, not fresh water, lamb, pork, sardines, tuna, and dark turkey. And it's interesting because I like ruminant meat, but beef just doesn't really seem to work for me with the exception of marrow and maybe a couple of like random organs. Beef just doesn't work for me. I don't really crave it. I don't really like the smell or the taste of it that much. Will I eat it sometimes? Yeah, but I don't like beef. And after reading this, I was like, uh-huh. I'm like, that's why I don't like beef because it doesn't like me. And finally, kapha. Kapha is the third dosha. It's kind of more of a slower dosha. Um, sometimes they tend to gain weight when they're out of balance. Um, they can sometimes have like issues with like lethargy and fatigue, but they're also kind of more easygoing than like the vata who's like frazzled nerves and the pitta who's like fire and go, go, go. So kapha proteins, white meat chicken, eggs, freshwater fish, rabbit, salmon, shrimp, white meat turkey, and venison. And what proteins are not so great for kapha? Beef, buffalo, dark chicken, dark meat chicken, dark meat turkey, um, seawater fish, lamb, pork, sardines, and tuna fish. So it's very interesting when we take stuff not just through this metabolic lens of eating these normal healthy foods that are nutrient-dense, easy to digest, bioavailable nutrients, very ancestral. We can also take it deeper from this Aryan Vedic or Ayurvedic lens and see exactly which ones of these nutrient-dense ancestral foods work for us particularly, right? So it's it's kind of a blending of all these different things. And of course, if anyone ever wanted any additional support in this milieu, uh, you can work with me. I do wellness counseling. I specify in helping people of European descent, both men and women. So that's always something too, just putting it out on the table if anyone was desirous of such. If you wanted to expand your knowledge of this or get like a set regime kind of, you know, customized for you, I could help you with that. So I think that's about all we have for today uh, on the broadcast, Radical Resistance. Went through a lot of stuff today. A lot of great conversations going on in the, uh, the chat too, which allowed me to kind of just, you know, kind of, I guess, ad lib or just kind of go off go off of what was being said and kind of talk about that, which I'm always happy to do. So I think I'll leave it at that. I'm a little bit past the two o'clock mark and I'll probably get uh, cut off in about six minutes or so, but this has been Radical Resistance on White Wellness Radio. I am your host, Tabitha. Be sure to catch all the broadcasts and mini clips over here at White Wellness Radio. Wishing everyone an amazing day. Um, and um, yeah, have a great day. What's the Odyssey link? I don't have an Odyssey, Mika. I think... Uh, Country Girl was doing a live stream of this show on Odyssey. Uh, if you go into her chat, you can probably find the Odyssey link. Um, I'll give you the link to her chat, actually. She's got a pretty groovy chat. Um, let's see where it is right here. If I can just get it to... My telegram is not responding right now. But sometimes she'll, she'll restream some of the stuff that um, I put out on this show. So let's see if I can find that exo they live is saying thanks for the show was just doing landscaping while listening yeah great way to um to do that to kind of you know work those two things together right i'm not seeing the link for that mika but um 
if you're ever on Telegram, you can just message me at Tabby America, and I could probably uh, forward to you. I'll type it in right now. I could probably forward to you, A-M-E-R-I-C-A. I could forward to you her channel where she reposted. it. So Epiphany is saying, just found out on Pitta. Okay, you're like me too. Cool. So yeah, that's it. Um, thank you everyone for, for being here, uh, for answering or asking the questions rather. And uh, we'll be connecting again soon on the next show. Uh, have a lovely and amazing day, uh, the 5th of, uh, 11th of May. And um, Satnam. Okay.